Hello, podcast friends. Pastor Marco here. Listen, I wanted to take a moment to let you know that I wrote a book that I'm really excited about. It's a book called Untangling Jesus from Religion. It's actually out of a series that I did about a year ago. Uh, just the heart behind it is to just help people get to Jesus. There's so many things, religious things, that get in the way of us having an actual relationship with Jesus. So I wrote this book in a very conversational style to help people unpack the reality that Jesus came to give us a, a exciting, fulfilling journey with Him. And if we can just untangle some stuff out of the way, all of us, I think, would want to follow this Jesus. So I wrote it for people who are already in church to have a better perspective of Jesus, but also people outside of church who might have these questions and they're just not sure, they're confused. So this book, Entangling Jesus from Religion, is available right now for pre-order on Amazon. I would love for you to check it out and let me know what you think, but also maybe help another person connect with it, someone maybe outside of church who has questions. I think it's a great way for us to have conversations around this Jesus that we love so much. And I pray that today's talk will bless you and encourage you. You know, uh, last week, I, uh, I, I came to, to New Life. I wasn't here physically, but I was online. And I want to shout out to all our online friends at home, man. You know, at home, church can be kind of a good thing sometimes. You know, I barely got out of my pajamas. I had waffles and the word. And, you know, it's not bad, right? Sometimes. And uh, last week, though, was Valentine's Day, and I, a COVID Valentine doesn't sit well with this Italian. Like, I, I don't, like, it just wasn't very fulfilling for me. I try to make it a big deal. I have a beautiful wife of almost 30 years and beautiful kids who are 25 and 24, two girls. And I like to get them stuff at Valentine's and, you know, be like, your daddy's your Valentine and Jilly, your, your man's your Valentine. Hey, you know. And yet this one, I didn't shop, I'm not going out, I didn't do, I got nothing, really. And it's a Sunday, it was weird, you know, the whole, just, and COVID, I don't know. I wasn't even that motivated. Anybody feel that with this whole thing? You're just like, what I used to get excited about, eh, I don't know. And all I could think, here's how weird my brain is. All I could think is the song, The Little Drummer Boy. You ask why, I don't know, I don't know, but I, 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 I heard it. It was like, come, they told me, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, it's Valentine's Day, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I am a poor boy too, <laughs> pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. COVID's been tough, man, on even my wallet, you know? I have no gift to bring. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. That's fitting to give my queen. You can sing it with me. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. So I'm looking around, and she's like, I'm going to get in the shower. And we're getting ready. Church is about to get on a TV, and the video's like, hey, church, get excited. Join a crew. It's going to be great. And I'm like, uh. So I go, um. Shall I vacuum for you? Parumpa pum pum. And my queen nodded. Parumpa pum pum. So she's in the shower, and I, I vacuumed my best for her. Parumpa pum pum. I don't even know what the attachments are for. Parumpa pum pum.
And then she got out of the shower, and I had sprinkled a little bit of downy unstoppables onto the carpet and the, the lovely fresh smell of a fresh vacuumed house. She, she looked around and did one of these. And, she, and then she nodded at me and she smiled at me. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum. Not proud of it, but needless to say, I was a little late for online church last week. <laughs> because we were in the Word and preparing for worship, and we, what, what did you think, Parumpa Pum Pum Matt? Fellas, I'm just here to tell you relationships can be complicated and they can be hard. Women and men don't always speak the exact same language, but I got to tell you, sometimes it's not rocket science. Um, I don't know too many females who aren't fluent in the love language of acts of service done in kindness and joy. And while I still feel like I probably, I probably owe you a real gift, Jilly, um, I'm pretty sure CVS still has some 50% off hearts. I mean. But there was something to like really trying to vacuum real nice because I just know she digs it. And she's often said, I, I'm way more attracted to you when you vacuum than just about anything else. <laughs> I vacuumed the car that afternoon. It was a great Valentine's Day, like the whole day, front to back. My daughters are out of the house. Empty nest syndrome is fantastic. Pastor Marco last week started a new series. He was looking at Ephesians, and we looked at how the first two chapters in Ephesians, they declare who we are as our identity in Jesus Christ. The last few chapters in Ephesians then declare, so as an adopted child of Jesus Christ, what do we do and how do we live into that? But often we like to jump into, well, what should I do? And what do I, I, let me get to work. And we haven't fully understood that it's out of our identity that determines then what we do. And I said, what, what, can, we, what can we start second week of the series with? And he said, let's look at what we're called to. Remember last week he said, we're all called to this. And he had a quote from Mark Basterston up on the screen and it said, if you don't feel your calling, get on your knees and ask God and wait there till you get that calling because our calling is not for Pastor Marco. The calling is not for the missionary who is bringing the good news in the third world. Our calling is for each and every single human who's ever been given the breath of God. You have a purpose, you have a place, you have a gift. And that is your job with the Holy Spirit to figure out your calling. We have to do it in community. You know who confirmed my calling as a pastor? About 150 other adults all throughout my life, coaches and mentors and friends and roommates and college professors and mom and dad and my Sunday school teachers and my VBS people, they just kept confirming in community this. I didn't just wake up one day and go, hey, why don't you give me the mic? I think I have a word for the church. I'm 50. 
I've been doing this 30 years. And in community, they've been shaping and moving and, and pressing and, and shaping and molding. And I'm trying to be careful to change things from the first service to the second. I want to improve on that. I might have overstepped the boundaries with Pahrumpapa. I don't know, but I want to learn from that and mature and grow, you know. My wife is over there going, yeah, you, you did. Okay, you did. There's a line. It's enough. I'm on the search. And how we do this is in community. My personal devotions, they're great. But they're not nearly enough. This church values the gathering. And they value the small gathering. You'll hear the word crew all the time around here. Because that's actually the secret sauce. That's sort of where the magic happens. We gather here and there's this like wave that comes over us and it's awesome. We get into small groups and we get in. Hands dirty, messy, uh, helping each other. I trip, you catch me, lift me back up. I start to wander and you go, no, man, this, this is the way we are. And I go, right, thank you, yes. The accountability, the encouragement, the joy, the love, the miracles that actually take place in that is the secret sauce that in a large church like this, you could easily miss. And the enemy would love for you to just check in on a Sunday, jump around a little bit up here, and then go home. Go back to your life, do your thing. Because here's what happens. You ever, uh, you ever have a campfire? You sit around a campfire, and if you are a male in the room, you understand this. Your mom gives you a stick, gives you a marshmallow, you immediately put in the fire, you light it on fire, you swing it around like a torch. And then you start fooling around with the fire, and you start poking, and you poke one of the coals that's really big and flaming, and you just kick it on the outside of the fire, and you're like, look, I have my own fire over here for 30 seconds. And it burns, and then it just glows, and then it gets darker, and then it's just ashy. And you go, what happened? And one of the wise adults around you goes, you took it out of the fire, dummy. And so you scoot it back in, you put it back in the lump with the other coals, and guess what happens? It comes alive again, it gets warm, and then it gets kind of golden, and then red, and then bam, fire. That's what community in the body looks like. And the enemy loves your flaming hot coal just nudged to the side. Loves it. All he says is, got you. The secret was, stay with the other coals. Let me just move you on here. You're still on fire, right? You're still doing your thing. You're still fulfilling your purpose. You're doing it. Got you. I got you. It's the oldest trick in his book. Stay a little separate. One of the biggest dangers of going to a very large church is that you could live life with very little accountability. And you could think in my own Lone Ranger way, I'll, I'll, I'll change the world and I'll serve our God and I'll, I wrote my tithe check. And you miss the whole point. I want to show you some places in Scripture that just, that just show it to us. We are called to live in community. You can't pray the prayer, Lord, consume me, like we just prayed alone. I'm just telling you, 
and in 30 years of ministry, have not seen it one time be sustainable. For a season, you can do it. You get on fire, and God's called you, and you just go out on a limb on your own, and you just do it, and it doesn't last, period. Because coals are meant to be together and fan each other into the flame. You could turn in your Bibles. I'm going to have it up on the screen. You could write this down. You're going to see a lot of words up here. Don't worry. We're not going to be here all day. We'll fly through some of it. Some of it you're going to need to check out on your own. But Ephesians 4 is, I'm telling you, if you were looking for the recipe of the secret sauce, it's in Ephesians 4. But I want to warn you, there are some words and some instructions in there that may feel more like the vegetable part of your plate than the dessert or appetizer part of your plate. I like the mozzarella sticks and the onion rings and the chocolate mousse. But Ephesians 4 gives us more like the asparagus. But it's been cooked in bacon grease, so it's getting good. It's just, it feels a little, you know, meaty and healthy. If you're new, I want to welcome you here. And I want to give you just a little insight. You can just look in the window of this peculiar life we followers of Christ have decided to live. And I also want to be real with you. Not one person in this room has got it totally nailed. We have not figured it out. We have not just nailed it and we're just working in perfection. No, no, and no. So if you're feeling a bit flawed or a little bit messy or feeling almost like, I'm not sure I'm like these people, join the club, welcome to the family, you're right at home. Because I've been feeling like that my whole life. And yet we have figured out. And maybe if you're one of those who has figured out, you might just want to quietly slip up your hand if you have figured out the one who has figured it all out. His name is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. You may just want to slip up your hand a little bit to go, I am in that camp. I don't have it figured out, but I know the one who does. In Ephesians 4, everything about it is designed to tell us our purpose, and our purpose is to not be alone. Single people, I'm not telling you that your life situation is inappropriate. It's not. God may call you to this. He may bless that and love. You may get to enjoy that your whole life and live out a purpose that is completely different than so many other people. It may only be for a season. You may be sitting in the room with your future spouse. You just don't know it yet, but join his crew. I don't know. I don't know. What I'm saying about being alone is not about the romantic being alone. I think some single people make the most on fire coals. They have a little bit more time. They actually have a little more energy to, to jump on in. And they have this like connecting way of, of pulling community together. There are so many different life situations in this room. Do not feel like the Bible needs to lump you in on any type of uniformity. We don't all going to look the same. We're not all going to have the same life situation. We are not called to wear the same uniform and walk and lock, step in a uniform. We're called to unity in the one who has figured it out. That's it. And our unity is in Jesus Christ. And his word is the one that fuels us. It's the owner's manual to this life. That's what we're called to. 
So as you hear this, hear it as we talk about the beauty of community in the body of Christ. Watch what he has to say here. Therefore, right now, Paul says, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. It's illegal right now, and I keep preaching Christ, and they've thrown me in jail. So I want to pastor you from afar. I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Understand? He's writing it to the entire church, meaning that the assumption is all of you have a calling. And some of you know what it is. You knew your calling. You weren't living a life worthy of it. You couldn't actually fulfill the calling. And you were bored, frustrated, tired, isolated. But some of you know what it is to wake up into that. And now your life is living according to God's standards. And you're living a life worthy of your calling. And you're stepping into your calling. And every step is fueling it. Like the Energizer Bunny, just like giving you more and more. And you're like... Oh, right, because that's what you're built for. Did you ever use a tool for the wrong purpose and get frustrated, almost mad at the tool? Like, what are you doing? My mom was famous for like, hey, that little screw is loose. I'm like, I don't know where the screwdriver is. She goes, that's fine, just get me a butter knife. Just jam it in there and scratch up the wood and hold it together for another 48 hours. It'll be fine. Mom, I don't think that tool is... For that, as we live a life worthy of our calling, because we have been called by God, life starts to get interesting, meaningful, purposeful. You start to come alive. And here's how we do it. It's so counterintuitive. Oh, I found my purpose, and I'm going to step out in my calling, and we can make it all about me. First instructions. You want to live a life worthy of your calling? Always be humble and gentle. Notice the assumption, too. I don't need to be humble and gentle if I'm just a lone ranger doing life by myself. Who do I need to be humble and gentle for? No, no, no. It's the assumption that we're going to be in community. And you know the best people who live in community? They are humble and they are gentle. That means they're also pliable. The potter who works with the Play-Doh you ever have like really old Play-Doh? You didn't get the lid back on just right, and then you go back to it, and you're like, oh, it's worth nothing now. It's like a rock. Did you ever play with Play-Doh, and all you ever made was a snake? It's just, it's all, that's all I can do. You take a pencil and put two eyes on it? Mom, look, I'm an artist. <laughs> no, you're not. But I know the one who has figured it out, and he is a master worker craftsman and artist and if we would be humble and gentle and begin to be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of our love that means grace somebody harms you and you don't have to retaliate you actually could stop and pray about it and the lord reminds you you know they may be going through something right you know what they probably are hurting because you know what hurting people do they they hurt people <laughs> And you've, been, you've gone through things before, right? You've been there. And you make allowances. You know what you're making your, your life? Moldable Play-Doh in the hands of the master to go, I will be humble and gentle. I won't demand my rights. And I won't have these angry outbursts or always know that I'm so certain about things. But I'll be patient and I'll show grace. And the Lord's like, 
oh, so you want to be used. And you're inviting me to craft you into a vessel that can be you. Well, I've got things for you. I've got some gifts I want to give you. I've got some direction and calling I want to lead you into. And I'm going to use the community, the body of Christ, to work it out. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You know how hard that is to do by yourself? Try to make every effort to keep yourself united with God's Holy Spirit by yourself. And I promise you, you're going to be frustrated. And you'll be very disappointed because it won't last very long. Our enemy is real. He speaks loud. He knows you well. And he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And he would like to snatch away anything good God has given you. And in the alone time, the coal outside the fire, he can snatch away so easily. But inside the community, when the coal is with the other coals, it is so difficult for the enemy to get at you and to take and steal and snatch you. It's just hard. It makes it so much harder. And you have brothers and sisters who have binded in unity, keeping united in the spirit and have bound themselves together in peace. And when the enemy comes knocking, I have multiple people who step in front and go, nah, he's not yours, dog. He's not for sale. He's not available. He's with us. He's living out his purpose in Christ. You got to go. And you know what the Bible says about when the body gets together and declares in the name of Jesus Christ that the enemy has to flee? He has to go. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. But not one time have I seen in my life somebody be able to do that for very long by themselves. Your crew, your people, your small group, the place you need to dive in and get messy. You need to get honest and authentic and and, and share the real and hear their real. And then get on your knees and pray and fast and then go out and serve. The enemy can't touch that. He looks longingly. He's furious, but he can't get to you. Your crew becomes your hedge of protection around you. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope in the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, in all, living through all. And he's given each one of you a special gift through Jesus the Christ. You think God the Father gave great gifts to Jesus? He did. He, in fact, said, everything I have, I make available to you. And then Jesus turned around to us and said, and now everything the Father's given me, I make available to you. How great is this? And not only that, but I see you, fourth row, red sweater. I see you, and I know your name. I've counted the hair on your head. I was there before you. I breathed life into you. You're no accident. You're here on purpose, and I've given you some unique gifts, and I want to use you. Not out in the wilderness by yourself. I want to pull you right into the fold of community, and I want to stoke the fire. And then I want this community to actually transform New Bedford and Fall River and Brockton and all up and down 24. And we might bleed into Boston or all the way into into 
Bridgeport, Connecticut. I don't know where it's going to go, but the fire starts to spread. And I don't have to control it anymore because I know the one who's figured it out. And he will control the fire of the Holy Spirit that gets alive. And when the coals decide, I'm not leaving here. I'm staying here because I'm called to it. Notice that everything Pastor Paul is showing us, every word of it doesn't apply to an individual. You can't do or don't even need these instructions if you're just going to do life all by yourself. I don't, learn, I don't need to learn how to make peace or show grace or be humble or patient. For what? I'm doing my own thing. I'm not hurting you. You're not hurting me. It's fine. I'm in a bubble over here. But Paul says, he doesn't even acknowledge, like a Jedi knight. He's like, what? We don't do alone. Okay, so here's how we do it in the body. <laughs> and he just keeps moving on. Let's see the next one. Now, these are some gifts that Christ has given to the church. Pastor Marco, your church board leaders, your staff, your youth pastor, your worship leaders. They are gifts given to you, and they're for your benefit. Think of, think of Pastor Marco like, like your, your, your Bill Belichick. He, he, Pastor Marco is one of the best who's ever done it. And guess what he is to you? Just a gift. Follow his leading. Imitate him as he imitates Christ. He won't lead you astray. I promise. I've known the man too long. He's rooted in the word, and he just wants you to be rooted in the word. Who's the Belichick of, of pastoring? He's a gift, but he's not the only gift. <sighs> yes, our leaders are responsible to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, the body and all the parts coming together under the head, Jesus Christ, and under our pastors and leaders and their instructions in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord. One of my versions says, so that we will grow up and be mature. I don't know about you, but that, that could rub you the wrong way. I, I've never been told to grow up, and it was like this real positive thing. Hey, Stretch, why don't you grow up? Um, you're right. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Why are you playing with that socket? It's dangerous. I don't know. Don't put your finger in there. I know. You're 43. What are you doing? I don't know. Grow up. But Paul's not scolding us here. He's inviting us here. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Grow up now. Who wants to stay immature? Have you seen immature kids? They're a hot mess. They don't clean themselves. They don't know how to eat. They're like, oh, I got, oh, 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 oh. we got a drinking problem? Yeah. Why don't you grow up? I can't. I'm four. I don't know. I'm working on it. But there's no freedom in immaturity. You need to be corralled and cajoled and, can, you know, all the time. The freedom comes in maturity. The freedom comes when God's shown you what to do and you're obedient enough, you're childlike in your faith enough to go, oh, I'm not going to actually wrestle with that. If you've told me to do that, I will do it. And do it long enough that you see the fruits of it and you're like, wow, this always seems to work. Let me go back and do my own thing. It never seems to work. I'm going to keep doing it this way. And the further down the road you get to maturity, you find God is freeing you to live the life of purpose. And then he's doing weird stuff with you. I used to say, God, 
tell me what to do, and he would tell me what to do, and I would do it. You know what he's been doing in my adult life? Asking my opinion on things. He's been consulting with me on stuff. I was a youth pastor at a church. I'd been there for 13 years. I'm happy to do that the next 30 years. This other church calls and says, hey, up here at Eastern Nazarene College, you could do some of your youth pastor stuff, but do it for the whole church as the lead pastor. I said, I don't think I'm a lead pastor. They said, no, we really see that. We need to go in a different direction. Would you come? So I pray about it. God, what do I do? Do I stay or do I go? And he literally said this to me. What would you like to do, Stretch? What? Are you asking me? I'm a moron. Don't trust me. Just send me a text. You're the almighty, eternal, sovereign ruler of the universe. Why are you consulting me? He said, Stretch, we've been walking together now 40 years. I love how you've been growing. I'm anxious to hear what would fuel your spirit. What would be kind of fun for you? Are you ready for a change? Because I can bless you here and I can bless you. So wait, it's not disobedient if I decide to say no or yes? He goes, you're not saying no or yes to me. I'm blessing both of those things. What would you like to do? I said, what kind of day is this? God said, it's a day that I don't treat you like a four-year-old any longer. I don't need to do that any longer. And immediately, my father's heart, I got it. When my daughters were four, I had to be commander of their life. Here's what you're wearing. Here's what you're eating. Here's where we're going. Here's where you go to bed. No, you can't watch that movie. It's inappropriate. I just commanded their life. That's my responsibility. But if I remained commander of their life, now they're age 25, 26. Now one's married, living in Florida. If I think I'm the commander of their life, first of all, I'm kidding myself. I'm frustrated in my role. They're frustrated with our relationship, and it's a hot mess. So I have to shift gears. As they grew and matured, I became less of a commander, more of a coach. Hey, come on, we can do this. Let me show you how to do this. We're going to get better at this. I want to show you some things that will help you, and then when it's game day, you'll be ready. And then as they grew and matured, and praise God, they're following the Lord, and they're, they're growing in their faith too. I'm trusting them more and more. One time, my daughter even looked at somebody else and said, hey, I know you're disagreeing with Stretch, but you should just trust him. He doesn't really fool with us like he hasn't led me astray. I was like, my daughter feels that way about me? She trusts me like that? We got to upgrade your cell phone. Here's the keys to the car. How can I bless you? What do you need? I just want to give it to you. I love that. And I was drawn so close to her. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and you will find that he's already drawing near to you. I feel that with my kids when they're walking in obedience and they're growing up. I can't be a commander. I can't even be the coach anymore. So there was a phase where I got to be counselor. And hard things would happen and we would debrief. Uh, they might ask an opinion and I could give them some direction. We are now in a phase where I have to shift again. I am now a consultant in their life. Hey, hey Dad, I'm, I'm putting in new flooring in my house. I'm looking at this one or this one. What do you think? 
I can't just knock the door and go, hey, I was just at Home Depot. You need a new floor here. You got to get that in. You're going to get number, the, the gray one. Get that one. I'm not that anymore. But they've asked me and they've invited me in. And I trust them and they're hard workers. It's such a happy relationship. And I'm way more fulfilled now than when they were four. And I loved when they were four. But I am so fulfilled in this more friend relationship than just being a commander or their coach all the time. And God is doing this with you. He's dying for you to move in maturity so that he can shift gears and entrust you with more and have a closer relationship. Imagine if your prayers were more dialogue than just monologue. The four-year-old just has a monologue. Mommy, I want Fruit Loops, and I like to watch Arthur, and I like to stay up four, four times longer. Uh, can, can I stay up? All my friends stay up longer. Can I just tell you? And I, I don't want to go to the mall anymore. It's really boring there. They just talk one way. My prayer life went through that phase for a while. It was so boring. And it took me by surprise when God invited me in and said, well, what do you think? And yet now I know it was affirming that me and my wife, we're just trying to... We, we have not got it all figured out. And we are not getting it all right, but we're trying to take gentle, regular steps of obedience. We keep staying in the word as much as we can to do this. That we could be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Let's keep going. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We're not going to be influenced when people try to trick us with their lies so clever that they sound like the truth. No, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, maturing together. You can't do it by yourself, though. Young people, get mentored by some older people. Crews, join together. Get some different genders and maybe some different ages together and, and learn from one another. Uh, your calling may shift gears like my parenting had to, too. Those of an older generation, you may say, well, that's nice, Stretch. I had a calling. I lived that out. Now I'm old. I can't do that anymore. Well, that's totally okay. Teach somebody else how to do it. Or ask God, what else do you want to mold my Play-Doh into? I'm going to have to shift gears. I'm not parenting a 4-year-old anymore. I'm parenting a 24-year-old. And we'll just shift gears. Maybe you become the prayer warrior. Maybe you finance instead of being the one who goes. Maybe you do some mentoring and go, actually, I've seen around the corner. I've been down this road before. Let me show you. There's a couple pitfalls I don't want you to trip up on. I want to show you. But don't get stuck that it has to be like it always was. Not your life, not the church, not anything. And don't be discouraged by that because sometimes we'll do that. We'll be like, oh, it's not like it used to be. You know what? If it was exactly like it used to be, you know what we call something that's not growing and changing? Dead. You're dead once you've stopped growing and changing and evolving and, and moving. And everything is about moving and growing and changing. And so it's not going to be just like it was. It might even be better. We might learn from some things that were. But probably what got us here is not exactly the thing that's going to get us to the next step. Let's lean on God for that. And let's find unity in the body. We will grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together. Imagine if your thumb was just sitting on a kitchen counter somewhere. What good would it be to your body 
That's just a waste. Oh, yeah, that's my gallbladder up there in the refrigerator. What? Don't you use that for something? No, the body parts only work when they're fitting together in the body. And the gallbladder doesn't need to be jealous of the brain or the tongue or the hands or the feet. The gallbladder can just understand, like, I'm going to be the best gallbladder you ever had. And if you don't need me anymore, cast me aside. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do because he's the head. I'm telling you, church, if you could hear and see this, your life changes. With the Lord's authority, I say this. He says, live no longer as the world does. The world is confused, the Bible says. I don't know if uh, this past year has given you any insights into the world's great knowledge. But we don't know as much as we think we know who to vote for. How do we get racial reconciliation? What's COVID? What? How do you eat? Should I wear a mask? I don't Is six feet enough? Should I quarantine for 14 to 10 days, eight days, two days? I don't, I don't know. I only know this. I'm not condemning the world. I only know this because I'm in the world. And I'm confused. I don't know. I just know this. We got so excited about the election in the whole world because all we want is for somebody to fix it. We just literally were like, who are you voting for? I don't know. Who can fix it? Just fix it. Fix it. And we just get, we're just here, right, with these unanswerable questions, these unsolvable problems. We're like, I don't know. Fix it. Well, we came up with an immunization. That's awesome. They're putting it in my arm, and the scroll is going, oh, three new strains. Vaccination won't help a bit. I'll take it out of my arm. I don't want one of the other. Fix it. Fix, fix it. Just fix it. And even in the church, we don't have answers. You're wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. We're not in agreement. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. What's the rule? I don't know. I said, Marco, should I wear a mask when I'm preaching? He goes, I trust you. What? Don't trust me. I don't know. Marco, fix it. No idea. We have no idea. And the Bible says, the world is just confused. And yet we know the one who has figured it out. And so you know those peaceful Christians who in the middle of a pandemic, when everyone's running around screaming, the sky is falling, and, you know, for a time like this. What? This, this is thousands of years ago. It's always been a time like this. The world's completely confused. They have been, they will be, without the one who actually can fix it. And I don't need Jesus to... I don't need Jesus to make up the batch of immunizations that's going to make sure the South African strain doesn't get me. <laughs> Fix it. I, I just need Jesus to reassure me that inside this hedge of protection, inside the word, inside my care, and filled up with your Holy Spirit, you've already let me consume you, Stretch. So now you have me. 
and I got you. And we take the next step into the unknown, and we take the next step into the unknown. And he goes, don't worry, I know the future. I got you. Wait, this one's too tough. That's a big step. Hop on. He carries me over to big stuff. And I, I could forget this, and I could, like, four-year-olds hold hands and, like, try to strain away and do my own thing. And it's in the community that they go, stretch, what are you doing? Cling to the Savior. He is fixing it. He has fixed it. Here he has. All of our confusion is out of brokenness, but he's already put it back together for us. And it's you, the body, my crew, my people, my small group. It's there, there where I am reminded that I'm no longer like the world. I don't have to be hopelessly confused. I don't have to be full of darkness. I don't have to wander far from the life of God. I don't have to close my mind and I don't have to harden my heart against him. The body reminds me of this. Next one. I don't have to have any sense of shame anymore about my past. I don't have to do like the world who has no sense of shame. They just flaunt their craziness. You're going to literally... I mean, anybody got cable? You got 8,000 channels, and every single one, everybody's on the camera going, hey, watch me. I'm crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you are. What is wrong with you? And they're like trying to make crazy normal, and you're like, no. Don't you have any shame? Are you living just for lustful pleasure? Are you eagerly eagerly looking forward to practice every kind of impurity? What are you doing? You're not built for that. It's the body that reminds me that. When I start to dabble or get distracted or tempted or uh, I even make a step into the craziness and they go, what what are you doing? Come on. This is where your life is. But that's what I've now learned about Christ. Not this garbage. I'm already dead to that. Now that you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off the old sinful self, the former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Isn't it nice to be back in the church together? Don't you feel like you're plugged back in and you're getting renewed? I told you, at-home church has its benefits. I didn't get a waffle this morning. You know what I mean? I had to get out of my pajamas and get a shower for you people. I'm complaining about it. Jill's like, do it for the children. Just do it. Get a shower. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do it. But you know what's not great about at-home church? No community. And all of a sudden I remember, that's what we're built for. At-home church can last through a pandemic. We can get through a quarantine for a season. But dude, I can't do church on my own for another year. I can't do it for another two years. I cannot do it. I'm not built for it as much as I try. And I don't have any longings to not be in community, but if you're forcing me not to be, I'm hurting, I'm withering, I'm actually starving for it. And that's how I know this is what we're called to and built for. Ah. There's a lot here. (laughs) Here's the thing. I'm only your guest pastor. I can't feed you the every meal, every just point. Read Ephesians 4 tonight before you go to bed. Just seriously, I'm telling you, it gives you things like this, like don't let the sun 
go down on your anger. Because anger gives a foothold to the enemy. Dude, that's priceless. That's information that you need to know, and it's sitting right there on your phone. Just Google Ephesians 4 and just scroll through it, all right? Let me just show you one thing about this thing called community. Sometimes we get it twisted. I'm in a small group. I've got these friends, these Christian friends. I'm changing my life. I'm going to worship. And then we get together and we eat. And then we play some games. And then we quit pray together. And then we go back to work. And then we look forward to our small group. And then we eat. And then we, you know, play some games, tell some stories. We pray together. And then I go back to work. And you're missing the biggest component. Scroll all the way to the end of Ephesians 4 and watch. Watch what this whole chapter is, is supposed to be about. It just simply says this. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Your life, this gift he's given you, this community he's building around you, you digging in and wanting to mature and start getting your spiritual muscles in shape. It's all for a purpose, and it's not for you. It's to give away in service. It's so that... New Life South Coast gets a better relationship with the mayor of New Bedford and the police department and the school teachers and the, and the social workers in the area and the homeless shelter. It's so that our food pantry doesn't need to be around anymore because we're figuring out like intrinsic grassroots levels of how to raise up our community in health. It's when, when races are, are moving together and uh, reporters are coming in saying something's happening in New Bedford. Black people and white people and Portuguese people and Hispanic people and Asian people, they're like together together. And they're like really in relation. What are you doing right? The whole purpose of Ephesians 4 is to give us the life manual so that we can serve and make a difference in the community. Here's what happens. All of a sudden, we have a candlelight service. We forget to blow the candles out. We go home. The place burns up, and next day, headline in the newspaper, oh no, what would we ever do without New Life South Coast? This community can't function without them. They are a life house, a lighthouse, and a life force giving us life. We got to raise money and get them back on their feet immediately because they are necessary here. Imagine that. That's the purpose of Paul giving us these life instructions. Let me take you real quick to John 2. There's a party. We're in Cana. It is 30 AD. And at this party, Jesus is there, but he doesn't have a date. Fellas, what do we do when we don't have a date and we got to go to a party? We bring our mother, obviously. So, so Jesus brings his mother and she's sitting at the table. He also invited a few of his boys. The disciples were there. And so they're, they're, they're sitting at the table. And Jesus' mom overhears the servants talking. We don't have any more party supplies. What do you mean, the wine? Yeah, we got no more supplies. What are we going to do? The party's not even close to being over. We've been partying for days already, but it's not over yet. And Mary says, Jesus, you heard that, right? It's so embarrassing, isn't it? I feel so bad for them. It's like they didn't prepare. Oh, Jesus. You got it. You want to 
Would you, you should. And for the first time, we hear Jesus speak to his mother, and it sounds like this. Ma! What, Ma? No, Ma, no, Ma. No. Why you involve me in this? This is not my problem. It's not even my time to, like, come out yet. I mean, what are you doing? She's like she was the godfather. She <laughs> Jedi mind wave. <laughs> Jesus gets real quiet. It's not my time, Mom. She goes, you're 30, okay? When is it going to be? Okay, come here. So she just does this. She's all reclined like this, arm around Jesus. She sees the three servants. She goes, hey. They're front and center. Right here, yeah. Now hear this. The Bible can get deep. It can get sometimes even a little complicated. Maybe even sometimes hard to understand. But it doesn't get any clearer than this. When she looks at the servants and says, you do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus, what's he going to do? This is mother. She's the godfather. <laughs> All right. See those trash cans over there? Yeah, 33-gallon ones? Yeah. Grab six of them. Yep. And uh, you take two, you take two. You, that's good. Go fill them with water. It's Cana, 30 A.D. You know how hard water is to come by? There's no sink, hose, fountain. There's no, there's a well that goes about 600 feet into the ground. There's a nasty river where all the cattle are just, you know, whatever. Right? It's ridiculous. You mean I got to get 33 times two, 66 gallons of water? You know how hard sanitary water was to come by? So here they are. They're just garbage water in garbage cans. We're going to get fired. But they just do whatever he tells them to do. They drag the garbage water and the garbage pails over. They're cowering like this, like, oh my gosh. Oh, they'll do it. And the party master, no idea, thinks that the wine truck pulled up. Oh, good. Round two is here. Fantastic. He puts a spoon in and he sips it and goes, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. There's like brown things floating. They, 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 they pulled it over. They knew where they got it from. He takes the garbage water out of the garbage can and goes, that's the greatest thing I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> where did you get? That's a, but he doesn't know a thing. He spends no more time even thinking about it. He just goes, that's so weird. Everybody else, they bring out the good stuff. Then when they get a little tipsy in the club, then you, then you bring out the crappy stuff, and they, they don't know the difference. I don't know how to save a thousand dollars. But you guys, you bring last, you bring out the greatest thing I've ever touched. Party on. Not one person in the party knows what happened. Nobody. Not one person knows. Jesus, the Godfather. <laughs> And his boys. 
and then three other people, and they're the servants. And everybody goes back to a nice party. They put on an 80s mix, and they're all like, ah, okay. And they're just back. They're back. It's, they're, they're gone. And when they walk home, you know what they say, right? Everybody in the party, they were like, that was nice. Wasn't it nice? Wasn't it, wasn't it pleasant? What a nice time. Oh, I love that family. Oh, that drink was tasty. Oh, hi. What a white people were walking back from the party and they were like, wasn't that neato? <laughs> it was neato. I don't even know what that means. And they went home. Went to bed, got up, went to work. And a pleasant time was had by all. They have no idea what happened. But the servants, when they walk home, you know what their conversation was like. Did you see that? Oh my, where'd you get the water? Me too, right out of the gutter, yes, yes. Right when the cow did his thing and then I had to scoop, I felt, oh, now everyone's just gonna get hepatitis. I'm responsible, I don't know. But did you see what happened? And they are changed forever. They can never, ever, ever hear a disparaging word about that dude named Jesus. They had met his mother And they knew his name now, and that name was now above all the other names. And they would say things like, no other name will I praise but yours forever and ever and ever. And it's only the servants who get the miracle. Join a crew, New Bedford, Fault River. Go go join one of the crews and get your hands in there dirty. Go ahead and be real and honest. Get in the word. Get on your knees. Fast and pray together. Hold each other accountable. And then get out and serve. Find what that is and do it. You may say, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know what gift I have. I don't know what to do. I'm the pastor, Stretch. I want you to watch this video real quick. Give me back spreading love. On the west side of Philadelphia was I born and raised. And that video gives me great joy. That Barbara's in Philly, and he was sitting in a church one time, and he was hearing a message very similar to this, reading scripture very similar to what we just read in Ephesians 4. And he's saying, great, you guys are all called. I'm a barber. Where am I called to? Lineups? Bald fades? I do it all day, every day. I said, is that my calling? And someone nudges him and goes, yeah, dude, you're a barber. It's not long after that that he notices some of the homeless sitting around City Hall and notices that they haven't had a shave and a cut in a very long time. And he thought, what if, what if I got some battery-powered clippers and, and maybe just clean them up? Give them just a moment of dignity or you know, a, a, a fresh breath. And then it turned into, he noticed the opportunity that he could whisper to them as he hugged them and said, now that you got a new look, did you hear it? Now that you got a new look, don't go back to old ways. 
and he's living out Ephesians 4 with his battery-powered clippers, right? Last time I was here, I know we got to go, but I, I can't leave without saying, last time I was here in the middle of the second service, I noticed that an usher comes up and taps my wife on the shoulder. She's a good-looking woman, happens all the time to her. I get it. I'm not, I'm not insecure. Unbeknownst to me, he's whispering, Miss Jill, can I have the keys to your car? She goes, oh, sure. Pulls him out of the purse. Here you go. She tells my story. Like, huh? Did you know him? No. What's his name? I don't know. He asked for the keys to the car. Yeah. You just gave it to him? Yeah. Ask any questions? No. Okay. My life. She says, is something wrong? He said, yeah, you, uh, you have a flat tire. We're just going to put your spare on for you. They get out there. Again, I'm up here. Bah, bah, bah. They're out there with a jack under the car, and they're just cranking this bad boy up, and they're getting everything set up. And then they go, all right, let's get the spare out. And they go to the trunk, and they flip open the thing, and they, Pastor Stretch doesn't have a spare tire in his minivan. Later, they, I, I finished praying with somebody at the end of the service. I'm walking out. Right there, there's an usher. He's like, Pastor Stretch, you don't have a spare tire in your car. You know that, right? And I'm like, what's a spare tire? I, I have four tires. They're on there. They got me there. He said, one of them's flat. I go, oh, no. He goes, no, no, don't worry. We fixed it. He says, but you should have a spare tire. It would have been a lot easier if we could have just put the spare tire on there. So I go out there, I'm like, where would I even look for the spare tire? Open the trunk, he goes, yeah, you see this big well right here, the big circle in your trunk? I go, well, yeah, it looks like a, like a kid's wading pool. What is that for? Your spare tire, man, come on. I am the least handiest person you've ever met. Two days later, I come home from running an errand, and there's two of those ushers, and they got the jack under my car again. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, dude, you don't have a spare. We just blew up your tire. I can't believe you even made it home to Quincy. We got you a new tire. We're just going to put this on there. And I, The end of Ephesians 4 just says, so that you can be an encouragement to another. And I have not been that encouraged in so very long. And this little pastor who doesn't know a spare tire from a teaspoon just sat there and just got weepy. And then, just like that, they were like, okay, we got to go. And I'm like, uh, I have, do I have money? Uh, maybe, a, maybe I got a gift card I can give you. Uh, Jill, do you have a cake? Do you have anything we can? I come back out, they're going, just like that, my automotive angels. I had asked them briefly, like, so is this what you do? Is this like a New Life SoCo ministry? They're like, come on, man. We do it all here. Come on. It's New Life South Coast, please. We're going to let you drive home in a flat tire. We got you, pastors. We got you. And I'm like, I want to go to your church forever, 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 ever, ever. When the community and the body starts getting together, and they later had said, this is stuff we pray about and talk about in our small group of men all the time. How can we be used 
in the unexpected, when we weren't prepared. They all came in thinking they were going to be ushers and greeters. Who knew they were going to be Mr. Goodwrench? And who knew that it wasn't going to be as easy as let's just slap a spare tire on there? No, no, no. We got to run and get a, uh, what do they call it? An air compressor from a garage down in Fall River and bring it back up. You know, it was way more. And yet the crew of them, they were the servants who experienced some of the miracle of blessing that the rest of the church, you just missed out on. You thought it was some poor schlub trying to go to the grocery store. I got a flat tire. Dummy should have got a spare tire. Didn't know it was your pastor. But they did, and they fixed it. Because servants just want to have that happen. Worship team, come on up. You, we're, we're just going to briefly pray the prayer that we were praying before. Lord, I'm giving you permission. Consume me. But I'm telling you, you can't do that by yourself. If you're at home, you can pray that prayer and really mean it. But I need for you to get serious about connecting with the body of Christ. Go out of your way to take your coal and put it right in the middle of the fire and let him consume you from the inside out. Father, have your way. We're yours. We're yours. Church, I don't know if God's calling you to something. But what are you waiting for? I don't know if he's calling you to start something, but what are you waiting for? I don't know if he's calling you to stop something, but what are you waiting for? You might want to change your posture as we pray this prayer. You might want to stand. You might want to raise your hands and surrender. You might want to kneel down and bow and say, you know what? I've been for king of my life for long enough. I, I want you. I just want to do whatever you tell me to do. You may want to come forward, a few of you, just as a kind of a step out. Like, I just, I want to go to the throne of grace. I want to be refueled, recharged. I, I, I want to be reminded. Or maybe one or two of you might say, I've never given my life over to the one who's figured it out, but I want to. On the screen, you'll see a, a number that you can text just the simple word Jesus to. And someone will reach out to you this week just to encourage you, answer some questions, pray for you. In the back, you can see different signs. If you don't own the Word of God where you could find Ephesians 4, go get a free Bible. We got stacks of them for you. Do you want the Lord to consume you? This whole community, what if that happened? And then we joined together into small groups and said, we're in. We're all the way in. Use me. Barbers, mechanics, pastors, missionaries, teachers, preachers. Let's go. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share it with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week. <laughs>